So good to be God's people together. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn or swipe to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, last week was such a great Sunday together celebrating Easter. And we looked at that first Easter Sunday morning where the vibe was shock and surprise and wonder. How many of you remember us talking about that word wonder? Well, as we drove down to the close and as we entered into communion, I gave you a little taste of the story that follows in Luke chapter 24, in which a mysterious companion joins two disheartened, discouraged followers on their way out of Jerusalem and back toward a city called Emmaus. And this mystery companion saddles up beside him and says, why are you so bummed out? And they say, dude, are you not aware of what just happened this weekend? And he says, no, tell me. They said, well, this one Jesus who we thought was going to restore Israel, he was crucified. And then we were sitting here together with some of his friends and followers. And this morning, you'll never believe it. They said the tomb is empty and he is risen. And that's just too crazy to believe. So we're heading back home. And then this mysterious companion explains to them, no, 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 no. This was not some aberration or anomaly. This was part of God's plan. And so he gives them this impromptu Bible study on this road out of Jerusalem. And he explains that this suffering and death was actually part of God's rescue plan. They were so fired up by the Bible study that they said, hey, man, it's already getting late. Come with us. Come into this house. Come have dinner with us. And so this mystery companion obliges. And of course, Luke tells us what we already know. This ain't no mystery man on the road. This is Jesus, the risen Jesus. But they couldn't recognize him. That is until they sit down at the table and their guest becomes a host and he breaks the bread and only then does the light bulb go off. And isn't it just something that they only recognized him when he broke the bread. They saw Jesus in the bread at the table. Because Jesus frequently upends our expectations right in that moment while these followers are sitting there with their jaws on the table, he disappears. <laughs> so, what do these two travelers do? Well, I think they leave the plates spinning on the table and they rush out like Wiley e. Coyote, breaking through the wall, and they go back to Jerusalem to go and talk to these other friends that were telling and circulating news of the fact that Jesus is alive and he's on the move. By the way, at some point in this afternoon, while the mystery companion Jesus, before or after he was on the road, he also appeared to Simon. He also appeared to some others. And we pick up Easter evening here in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, that would be those two travelers and the rest of the followers in Jerusalem, Jesus himself, I guess, ran faster and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. 
thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, "Uh, do you have anything here to eat? As if to drive home the point that he's more solid than a ghost. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. (laughs) Can you imagine the looks on their faces? What are they doing? What are they saying? What are you thinking if you're standing in that room and Jesus rolls up and says, peace, do you have anything to eat? (laughs) He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Which is Jesus' way of saying the whole Old Testament. Which in that moment was scripture. All of it. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning right here at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my father has promised But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a wild story. Would you join me in prayer saying this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer for the second Sunday in Easter. Can we say these words together out loud? Almighty and everlasting God who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation Grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Before we get back into our story, I want to tell you about a Christmas present that Amy and I gave Emma and Nora this past Christmas. We thought we were being real clever, and we thought we were doing something real fun and unusual, and so we got them some tickets to a live show, and it's tickets to Dude Perfect. Does anybody know who Dude Perfect is? Yes, says Lynette, who teaches young boys at school. Yes? Dude Perfect. The target demo is like elementary age tweeners or you know, young middle schoolers, but Dude Perfect for the Uninformed is actually a group of local guys who started out while they were at A&M doing trick shots, like crazy basketball shots and football shots, and somehow or another, this thing has spiraled out into this, like, media empire all over YouTube. Every one of their videos has millions and millions of views, and so my girls 
have helped contribute to those viewership numbers a lot. And we kind of like them because I think they're, they're believers. And so it's pretty clean cut, just good old fashioned fun and yucks. And so they actually have this warehouse in Frisco and they started doing these like live experiences and tours. And so they're coming to their hometown show at the American Airlines Center. These YouTubers are going to do something for an hour live and we're going to go see it. And we bought them two tic- four tickets, them two and us, because I want to see what they're up to. They're kind of fun. I like them. And we bought them tickets, and it was part of the Christmas experience. We were like, they're going to love it. They're going to lose their mind. So we, like, printed out the confirmation. It has a picture of Dude Perfect. And so we're, like, opening presents on Christmas morning. They rip it open, and then you just start to see the wheels turning. They see their face. What? Huh? What? And we were kind of like sneaky about it because for days in advance, we were showing them trailers on YouTube of like, that looks pretty cool. Wow, they're going on tour? Amy, did you know they're going on tour? Whoa, crazy, awesome. So we're kind of hinting at this. And then Christmas Day, they open this up, they look, and you just see the pieces start to connect. Then, something we didn't anticipate happens. They go, what? Yes! When? Yes! When? And we said, um, July. July 31st. <laughs> and then they go, okay, January, February, March, and April, May, June, because they're 10 and 8. And they start to count and they go, seven months. <laughs> and we said, uh huh. And they said, 31 has September, April. The last day of the month. Yeah. And they go, great. That would be fun. And I guarantee you, if you ask them right now, are you guys excited to see Dude Perfect? They would go, oh, yeah, we got Dude Perfect tickets. Because December 25th and July 31st is a long time to wait. You can't win them all. It went from yay to wait. Yay? Jesus had been sending them this trailer five times in the book of Luke. Hey, hey, I'm going to die, but on the third day. Hey, the Messiah, the king, the anointed one. Hey, it's going to look pretty bad, but it's going to be okay. He'd been sending them the trailer. He'd been kind of sowing the seeds. And then it's not Christmas morning. It's Easter morning. They open this up. They start to put the pieces together. But it may not be seven months in between the empty tomb and when Jesus shows up in the upper room. But it was at least seven hours that they have to count on their fingers and wonder, okay, I think this is awesome, but... How long do I have to wait before I see him? I think this is good news. And I think that God had this planned at the end of the age that those who are faithful and with him will be raised again. But what does it mean that Jesus was raised in the middle of history? I think it's good. I think it's yay. But now I'm kind of waiting and wondering because I haven't seen Jesus yet. I'm still in my old body, and I'm pretty sure that we're still kind of in hiding and 
people are still dying today. We may not have to wait seven months. These disciples may not have waited seven months. But what about those seven hours in between Easter morning and this that we just read when Jesus rolls up and starts to eat a piece of fish? Here's our first big idea. I think our lives are like the first few hours of the first Easter. We hear good news. He's not here. He's risen. We confront the mystery of life and death, and maybe God is at work even in the midst of it. And then, like these, we process what all of this means for us and our world. To put it in a cutesy preacher way, we live in between the tomb and the table. The tomb of Easter morning and the table when Jesus surprises us in our darkness, surprises us in our processing, and we sit there with our jaws on the floor because we start to really let the wonder into our hearts and say, oh man, maybe it is true. But the difficulty for us is that we don't really have seven hours. We might have 70 years in between hearing good news, confronting the mystery that God is at work in our world, in our life, even in spite of death, and we spend 70 years processing what this means, and we live in between the first Easter and when we see Jesus face to face. I think our lives are just like this encounter we see in Luke 24. So how do we live in between the tomb and the table? What's all this mean for us now, like we were praying about a moment ago? Let's dive back into our story. Remember that while they're talking about this, Jesus shows up and says a hello that's a lot deeper than just a hello. Do you remember what he says when he appears in this room with all of these people processing the mystery? He says what? Peace be with you. That's a common greeting, but it's weighty. It's different. It's like when you see someone at the airport in the international terminal. They've been gone for weeks, and they run up to you, and you go, hello. That ain't just a hello. That ain't just a hi. What's up? That's a weighty hello. It's something about when Jesus says peace that he means peace. I'm here. It is true. And I love this little phrase that could be like a throwaway phrase, but it's been just sitting on my heart all week. Jesus himself stood among them. I think that so much of life in between the tomb and the table is cultivating an awareness and an attention that Jesus is standing with you. Even when you don't understand, even when you're processing it, even when your mind and your heart is going a mile a minute and you feel like you're just groping through the darkness, I think our life between the tomb and the table is so much about cultivating an awareness that Jesus is standing with you. Jesus is standing with us now. Jesus stands with them and he says, peace, peace. It's a jaw-dropping moment. They think it's a ghost. What? 
It's late in the night. It's been a bewildering day. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Is this a hallucination? What is this? And then Jesus, sensing the jaw drop moment, he says, no, 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 no. It's not a ghost. It's me. Touch and see. Look. What kind of body is this? It's more solid than a ghost, right? That's why we were reading 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm telling you, read it. It's wild. From stem to stern, it's wild. But what we're getting glimpses and whispers of is that this is a body that is fit for both heaven and earth. It's a body that's fit for God's space because very soon Jesus is gonna go back to the Father. But it's also a body that can move and eat and walk in and amongst earth. It's a body that's fit for heaven and earth because when he's the prototype, and his 1 Corinthians 15 says, when he's the first crop of the harvest, he's the prototype, a running, living bit of new creation that's showing us what it will look like when heaven and earth become one at the end of the age. And if that's not a mystery, I don't know what is. But there's something about this body that I'm speaking in and living in and that you are in now that is just not cut out yet for life in heaven and earth. But Easter hope is, oh, God's going to take care of that. Somehow he's going to take the raw material of our grandparents that are in the ground and those who died 500 years ago who are disintegrated or cremated, there's something about God taking the raw material of this body. He ain't even going to waste it. He's going to remake it. And as First John says, we will see Jesus and we will be like Jesus and we'll see him as he is. This is a Christian mystery I can't even begin to get my head around. But we're starting to see that this is a body that has transcended death. And in this, is this for real moment, they're starting to dare believe maybe he's not a ghost and you see this mix of joy and amazement is what Luke tells us. So Jesus, sensing all this, saying, I know this is a lot to comprehend. It's a lot for us to comprehend right now. What? Because you read the Far Side comics and you saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they go to heaven and it's clouds and harps and you just think that it's something about being a soul. That's life after death. But what we're seeing in Jesus is a prototype for life after life after death. In some sense, those that are in the ground who have died are in the presence of love and life, God himself. But there's also this sense that that's still not the end hope. The end hope is that we'll be like Jesus in some kind of body fit for heaven and earth that can also eat fish. <laughs> we have Jesus's words and works to help us process this mystery. We have Jesus' words and works to help us process in between the tomb and the table. They're sitting there in joy and amazement, starting to come to grips with this hope that God is showing them in real time. And I love that Jesus, like he did with the two travelers, and like the angels told the women, he says, no, 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 don't you remember what I've said? I had to suffer, I had to die, but all of this is part of the plan. So, 
Do you have words that you remember when you're just trying to catch up with the disorienting nature of life around you? What do I mean by that? I'll tell you. I'm a pastor, and as part of my vocation, every day I'll get this phone call or a person out of the blue that needs prayer. And I don't have enough words for all the situations that we are confronted with. You have people in your life that say, will you pray for me? Or you get a text, will you pray for me? Sometimes I need help to get some sheet music to help me pray. My words that I remember are Psalm 23. For me, it's Psalm 33, 22. May your unfailing love surround us, God, even as we wait in you. How about Philippians 4, 7? I prayed for someone this week. May the peace of God that transcends understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you have some greatest hits you pull out your back pocket? Or is it just me? I'm telling you a pastoral secret. When you can't say your prayers, have some help and get some sheet music. Jesus says, don't you remember my words? So the trick is when you're in the hospital, when you're in a dark place, when you're in a room processing with your friends, what just happened? What are you pulling out of your back pocket? And if you don't have those words, that's okay. There's lots of them right here. And the funny thing about the Psalms that I was mentioning earlier is they kind of give you the whole scope of human emotion. So if you're angry, there's some angry words to pray. If you're sad, there's lots of sad words you can pray. When you're despairing and you need a jolt of hope, there's a lot of those too. What words are a lamp to your feet? Get some, grab some. On our website, we have a prayer form. It's the TNC Daily Prayer. It's a prayer guide that gives you some sheet music, and then it gives you enough space to freestyle when you need to do a drum solo or a guitar solo. Like finish the word thank you. Finish the word sentence would you. What are your words? Jesus says, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Get it settled now for when you're groping in the dark and wondering and processing, you have them at the ready. But he also gives works. What do I mean by that? Jesus extends his hands, like in the famous interaction with Thomas in the book of John. He says, look, it's really me. I'm not some Jesus lookalike, Jared Leto walking in here. He's got some scars to prove it. What are the works lodged within your heart the fingerprints of divine that God has given you that you say, I know that he can because he has. In our church, we've seen a person raised from the dead. In our church, we've seen inoperable brain tumors get operated on. How about the fact that you're just sitting here living and breathing today? Isn't that a miracle? Do you have those healings? Have you had those moments where you felt prayed for? I'll tell you, I wasn't even in an emergency situation, but I'm telling you that last fall when we needed prayer as a gentleman was coming to stay at our house to rehab, when we came home, we just felt prayed for. 
from this community? How many of you have needed wisdom and you said, God, help me give me wisdom? And you put James to the test when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and God loves to pour it out without measure. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Signing up for insurance and things. Amen. Hallelujah. What are those works, those signs of God's power in the past that help inform your presence? If you can't go back five years, 40 years, six days, start tonight. There's a prayer you can pray that says, Almighty and ever-living God, you have brought me in safety to this new day. When he wakes you up tomorrow, you didn't drum it up yourself. You say, you've brought me in safety to this new day. And then you pray, preserve me with your mighty power that I might not fall into sin nor be overwhelmed by temptation. And then when he does that, at night you say, hey, thanks for answering that prayer. That prayer is in the TNC daily prayer. And it helps us, the words and works, process in between the tomb and the table. But you know what I love about this? When he's bearing the scars and he's going to show Thomas, he's going to show these other people, what I really love, and this is our third big idea, that doubters and deniers that bailed on him in his darkest moment, the worriers trying to make sense of all the goings-ons of that first Easter, and the wanderers, the ones who are looking at the empty tomb and daring to believe, could it be? Doubters, deniers, worriers, and wanderers all are invited to process in the presence of the crucified and risen one. There's a person in our church that tells our church often that he might be the biggest doubter you'll ever meet. And I love when he says that. And I'm a pastor of this church. <laughs> You'd think that it's like a part of my vocational thing to say, don't doubt. But there's something about doubting, sifting, wrestling, wondering that is holy when you process with other people. There's something about this person that says this often, but it's not keeping him away. We can bring all of it and process it in the presence of the crucified and risen one. How about this? Can we doubt and disagree without disengaging? Can we be a church in our neighborhood that we saw last week where we had all different kinds of people from all different walks of life, all different demographics. Can we doubt and disagree without disengaging? What is the witness that our world needs? Is people that all look alike, think alike, vote alike, or the people who do all of that differently and still show up together and say yes and amen. Jesus is bigger than what divides us. And it's not to say that those things aren't important, but they, they get put in their proper place and we can wrestle through them and we can work through them and we can process them together. Because when you process in the presence of the crucified and risen one, you start to keep your face and your feet fixated on him. So then these things that are doubtful and disagreeing, they start to kind of realize, oh, it's not as ultimate as a guy who's breaking in forgiveness and life and healing, and wholeness. Maybe it's more important that we enact that kingdom and that resurrection life in our world than the finer points of theology and politics. 
Maybe instead of debating who should get fed, we just say everyone should get fed. Maybe instead of debating who gets welcomed, we just say, let's lead with love and let everyone be welcome at the table. And then we'll sort it out as we doubt and deny and worry and wonder, but we dare not disengage. We process in the presence of the crucified and risen one. This is possible because Jesus gives peace. Peace be with you. Jesus gives his word. Hey, remember all the things I've told you? Remember I showed you the trailer of the dude perfect life thing? I showed you the trailer. I'm gonna suffer. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise again. He gives us his words. He also gives us his work. Look, we sang one of the ancient creeds, the ancient statements. He has trampled death by death. It's not that Jesus just died and he's back. Hey, guys, he went through death. It's like if you had this like barrier and Jesus was pushing on death so hard, he punctured it and he led the way where we can go not just into death, but through death and out the other side. He's given his work and and we see that he's also gonna give us his Holy Spirit. That's what's at the end of the passage that we read. Hey, I'm gonna go and give you the Spirit, which is God himself within you, dwelling within you, to give you not only understanding, but power to go out and say, turn to God, find forgiveness and life in his name. In the first scene on Easter Sunday morning, the angels remind the the women he had to die, he had to rise, and then they remembered his words. The two travelers on the road to Emmaus, he opens up the scriptures and they say, were not our hearts burning within us? Then they remembered the scriptures. In the scene that we just read, Jesus opens their minds and they could understand the scriptures. It was Moses and the prophets and Psalms. What the Bible is, is not just a rule book. It's not just a to-do book. It's a story. It's a cohesive story of how God is rescuing a people and becoming their king. And watch, the disciples' understanding of Jesus is rooted in Israel's scripture. Now, the disciples' understanding of Israel's scripture is rooted in Jesus. Did you catch that? The disciples of Jesus understand Jesus through the story of Israel. The disciples of Jesus understand the story of Israel through Jesus. The disciples are sitting in that room, and I bet one of them is thinking, as he's teaching them the law, is this what Jesus meant when he said, you've heard it said, quotes the law. But I say to you, Jesus fulfilled the law, simplified, deepened the law. Whoa, was the law pointing to Jesus? When the weary travelers on the road to Emmaus said, yeah, there's a prophet named Jesus. A prophet is one who calls the hearts of God's people back to God. And when Jesus teaches them the prophets and they see Isaiah, where how beautiful on the feet are those who bring good news that your God reigns. Is the prophet Jesus the one that's bringing good news and telling us that God is reigning? 
when Jesus opens up the Psalms and then he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus is not abandoned into Hades, like Psalm 16, are, are, are they seeing a living, breathing embodiment of the words of the Psalms? You can't understand the Old Testament without letting Jesus be your chaperone to say, let's open the door and let me walk with you. You're not Israel, but if you're a follower of Jesus, like the disciples here, he opens your minds to understand the scriptures. But also, the scriptures that come before give us the context through which we understand Jesus, the one who is Israel's true king, which is the king of the world. You see, the resurrection then isn't a consolation. Hey guys, I'm back, no big deal, I'm resuscitated. The the resurrection is a vindication. The world and evil and death dealt us the biggest blow, but God somehow turns the other cheek, forgives and reconciles the world to himself through death. And just so we're clear that this is God's anointed king, he's alive, he's raised. By his death, death has died. By the world sending all their sins into him, he forgives and absolves. And so then you can go out and say, hey, there's forgiveness over here. Come and see. It's not just a consolation, it's vindication. You see, these disciples are a lot like me in my married life. Sometimes I hear, but I'm not listening. Amen? The problem is, they just struggled to accept the truth that our king was enthroned on a cross and that his crown was a crown of thorns. They heard it, but they weren't listening. But the risen Christ can help them process, which is our final big idea. If God's story then includes, endures, and even transforms crosses and tombs, what can and will God do with your story? But this thing we prayed about earlier that's difficult and dark and I don't understand. He, yeah, he, you know, he's done this for other people. He can't do that with me. Yeah, this thing, it's just a thorn in my side and I've been praying for it for a decade and yeah, there's gonna be no movement on this. Yeah, this person, that relationship, no, it's, it's a done deal. Well, wait a minute. If God's story includes a cross and a tomb, if God's story endures a cross and a tomb and then ultimately transforms the cross and the tomb, what can and will God do with your story? I'll close with a quote and a story from Bishop Desmond Tutu who saw in his lifetime a lot of darkness and death. He died in 2021, and he recalls a time in the darkest days of apartheid in South Africa. He and other Christian leaders were meeting in an abandoned seminary. The seminary was closed because of its racist policies in South Africa, and there wasn't many spaces available to people 
who weren't white. They're meeting in this abandoned seminary, these Christian leaders, in the darkest days of apartheid. And he writes these words as he's recounting this story. Dear child of God, it is often difficult for us to recognize the presence of God in our lives and in our world. In the clamor of the tragedy that fills the headlines, we forget about the majesty that is present all around us. We feel vulnerable and often helpless. But we are not helpless. And with God's love, we are ultimately invincible. Our God does not forget those who are suffering and oppressed. And in the same book that he's writing this, he, he, he leaves this meeting and he goes out into a garden, like a courtyard, in the midst of these talks. And he sees a cross that's empty. There's no body on it, but there's nails still sticking out and a crown of thorns on the center of it. And while they're having this meeting, it's in the winter time, And so the grass is overgrown in this abandoned seminary, and it's brown and withered. And he says this. As I sat quietly in the garden, I realized the power of transfiguration, of God's transformation in our world. The principle of transfiguration is at work when something so unlikely as the brown grass that covers our veld, which is a word for the open country in South Africa in winter, becomes bright green again. Or when the tree with gnarled leafless branches bursts forth with the sap flowing so that the birds sit chirping in the leafy branches, or when the once dry streams gurgle with swift flowing water, when winter gives way to spring and nature seems to experience its own resurrection. What he's saying is that the earth is telling us what God has shown us time and time again, and we keep forgetting that the road to resurrection and life always goes through crucifixion and death. But there is always life and love that is invincible and endures. And it's possible because of the first Easter morning. It's not just for then, it's for now. We can look back like these disciples and dare to believe. We can dare to doubt. We can dare to wonder. We can confront the mystery. We can hear good news. And we can dare to look death straight in the eye and say, you're not a dead end. And no, I haven't seen Jesus. No, I haven't eaten broiled fish with him at a table. But we come together each week at the table and recognize in the broken bread that somehow Christ is in our brokenness and it's good news that we're not alone. He's standing here with us. And we can go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the rest beat up And we can forget, and so we come back the next week, and we remember his words, and we taste his forgiveness, and we remember that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in us, and so he sends us back out again, so we can tell the world, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. Amen.
Go now as God's chosen witnesses to testify that Christ has been raised and that we are raised with him. Do not look for him among the dead, but be glad and rejoice in his salvation. May God raise you from all that would entomb you. May Christ Jesus call you by name and go ahead of you. May the Holy Spirit empower you for what lies ahead. Go in peace to love and serve God and neighbor, for he is risen indeed.